0: Welcome to BIB Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIB.com. I'm Kirk Lapointe.
1: I'm Haley Wooden. First up on the show, we're going to break down CN's multi million dollar investments in British Columbia.
0: And later on, BIB's tech panel is going to weigh in on PayPal acquiring a Vancouver founded fintech for more than half a billion dollars.
1: Our first guest addressed the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade on Monday to discuss what will be about a $340 million investment in British Columbia – Over the next year, Sean Finn is the Executive Vice President of Corporate Services and Chief Legal Officer at the Canadian National Railway Company. The investment in BC is about 10% of a $3.4 billion capital spend for this year. He joins me now. Sean, thank you very much for your time.
2: Good morning, Haley. How are you?
1: I'm well, thanks. Let's start with that bigger number because it's eye catching $3.4 billion in 2018. So, go ahead. What does this recognize in the industry?
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, last year our capital investments was $2.7 billion for 2017. This year we've increased it to $3.4, so $700 million more. In great portion because we realize, uh, as we came into last year in the fall, that uh, some of our parts of our network are at capacity. For example, the Edmonton to Winnipeg Corridor, which services obviously the port of uh, Metro Vancouver as well as Prince Rupert. So of the uh, additional 700 million dollars, 400 will be invested in uh, that corridor uh, to create more capacity, more fluidity, including some investments in northern .BC. between Prince Rupert and Prince George.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's areas of needs across your systems. How do you evaluate which ones to prioritize when it comes to investing?
2: Yeah, and it's important also to realize that's almost uh, the 3.4 is almost 25% of our gross revenues, which is a, mm. a big percentage of the Class 1 railways in the U.S. average between 16 and 18%. So a big commitment on the part of CN to really raise our game on in investment. to that's your question, we look at the network, look where the demand is coming from. A lot of demand in Western Canada. Uh, and obviously, we also look at where we have either bottlenecks or capacity issues on the network, and that's where we, we target those first. So we recognized uh, as we came into 2018, that we had capacity issues on that part of the network. So a big portion of the $400 million will be in the corridor, like I said to you before, plus you know, some additional track capacity between Rupert and Prince George. So we're looking at where the bottlenecks are, how to maintain fluidity, uh, and also, some of that is also new locomotives, which will serve the whole network, but more importantly, uh, uh, quite a few in Western Canada. And we've hired 1,200 new employees to also mm. help us get the more capacity.
1: When it comes to your investment in British Columbia, does it solve your capacity problems? Mm. Does it get you closer to solving them? How big of a dent does it make?
2: Capacity is never fully saved, honestly, but uh, solved. But uh, it does help us, I think. Uh, you know We'll, we'll see uh, the fact that we started early. So uh, usually it usually takes a year to get capacity on, on the network. So we started very early this year. We expect to have some of it available this fall. So as we get into a more difficult operating environment, as we get into the winter, uh, it's not an excuse, it's just a reality that we have winter in Canada, obviously, yeah. um, that we think we'll be better prepared have more resilience. So to answer your question, by doing it early, some of this capital improvements will be available to us used this fall, including the locomotives. We have 60 that are arriving in June. So we're confident that uh, you know it's a first step in the right direction. More will have to be done to make sure we have longer-term, resilience but uh, we're looking forward to having this capital online to help us you know put a dent into making sure we move uh, Canada's goods our customers goods, to market in an efficient fashion through the more difficult operating ones.
1: you mentioned weather obviously a reality here in Canada or anywhere another area of interest at least to our listeners would be trade in Canada diversifying its trade opening access to new markets how does CN evaluate those upcoming opportunities and factor it back into how you do your planning
2: well, you probably know on Friday last week, Minister Garneau announced a $167 million investment by the federal government into the uh, Vancouver Fraser uh, Port Authority in the mm-hmm. Port of Metro Vancouver to create additional capacity when it comes to the supply chain coming into Vancouver. So that's your question. of You know you want to be a trading nation, you have to move goods to market, and it takes like, a strong transportation system to do so. And we think that you know obviously CN uh, is a big player in making sure that Canada's trade uh, is fulfilled with his customers in Asia and also in Europe, but uh, you know a good example is investment in the port of Metro Vancouver. I think uh, in that trade corridor, Mr. Garneau, uh, you know shows a lot of confidence in the corridor. It's up to us, uh, both CN uh, and our friends at CP, but also the uh, the supply chain as a whole. You know, make sure we use these funds to create additional capacity to make sure that as we get you know uh, stronger trading relationships with some new customers in Asia and elsewhere, that our uh, our uh, network in Canada can fulfill its obligation to deliver the goods to market on behalf of the Canadian economy.
1: Mm -hmm. What would you say overall are CN's challenges in 2018 when it comes to investing, when it comes to creating greater capacity?
2: Yeah, I think uh, our challenge would have been, you know, the fact we started early will help us. Uh, this, at your point, a first step in the right direction. But you know, we had three challenges in the fall. One was uh, uh, we were short locomotives, so buying 200 new locomotives, 60 will arrive in June, will help us. Uh, we hired 1,200 new employees, which was also important to us. We had to train them at our national training center in Winnipeg. They'll come online as we speak, uh, in the course, of the summer and the fall. And then finally, just making sure that you know the capital expenditures of uh, you know 700 million dollars is deployed quickly enough and then we get the work done. But I think we're pretty good at that at CN. When our engineering groups decide to engage and get the work done, we're usually on time and on schedule. So I'm very optimistic that it might be a challenge to do this much capital work in such a short period of time. Mm. But I think our our 22,000 employees at CN are up for the challenge and we'll be there to deliver on time.
1: Fair enough. The federal government recently passed Bill C-49, the Transportation Modernization Act. Can you elaborate a bit on what that frees CN up to do?
2: Yeah, in a nutshell, I mean that is four years of work. Uh, first of all, by David Emerson, who was in charge of the CTA review panel, uh, who reported to Minister Garneau in December of 2015. Within months of being elected, Minister Garneau took a, a good year to well took it to to consult with the various stakeholders and came to a view uh, last May of 2017 to introduce Bill C49. That's your question. Now that it's passed, it creates an environment that uh, allows the railways to understand what are the rules and the regulations applicable to us, which we think is conducive to investment. And as we say, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, the bill got passed in May, and we have made a series of announcements now that we know what the rules will be for the years to come uh, to, rea- to reassure our investors that by investing you know, 25 cents of every dollar, that's the number, in back into the network, uh, is a good return for their investment because we're we're very very confident that this will create more capacity will allow us to earn a return on capital which is sufficient to justify it, and more importantly, the environment is you know is well understood by both uh, the customers on the railways, you know how we're going to operate going forward in this certain regulatory certainty which is conducive to investing in the network.
1: as you know when we were talking about trade and diversifying trade just a little bit earlier, there have been a number of tariffs placed on Canadian products. there's a lot of uncertainty, particularly around North American free trade. At what point do tariffs, trade issues, impact CN's operations in your planning?
2: Yeah, they impact our customers. Obviously, if you think about steel and aluminum, steel is a bit different because uh, we have steel customers both in Canada and the US, so it's probably less direct impact on our business, but no doubt impact on our customer's business. Aluminum is more more preoccupying, I think, Uh, you know, only 12% of uh, domestic consumption in the U.S. comes from uh, aluminum produced in the U.S. A lot of it's imported. A lot of it's imported from Quebec, for example. So there's no doubt that uh, these tariffs uh, could have a negative impact on the flow of aluminum going to the U.S. But uh, we remain confident. Uh, You know, I'm a I'm the chair of the Montreal Chamber of Commerce. I'm, a, I'm on the US, board of, U.S. Chamber of Commerce board. And we're confident that, you know, over time, has uh, U.S. elected officials realized, you know, 36 states, the biggest trading partner is Canada. Nine million jobs in the U.S. are tied to the fact that we have NAFTA. That, uh, you know, and I'm very confident, we heard from Minister Freeland that they're going to negotiate over the summer. I'm confident that, the, you know, the tariffs are there for a very specific reason. But as long as the parties at the table and working on modernizing NAFTA, that'll probably be a win-win both for our customers but also for C.N. We are known as the NAFTA Railway, so for us, obviously, having a strong uh, NAFTA agreement and, and NAFTA partners is uh, is very beneficial to our business and to our customers' business.
1: Mm-hmm. Beyond 2018 and your capital spend for this year, what is CN looking toward?
2: Well, obviously, you know, a lot of growth in our business, a lot of demand for our services, so that's uh, we welcome that. Um, sometimes it's too much growth too quickly, but the, the burden's on us to, to make sure we're there to, to take on this additional business in a very efficient fashion. Uh, I think it's just making sure that people realize that you know there's only so much capacity in the railway, and we have to try and serve all of our customers in an equal fashion. So as we get into um, more difficult periods of the year, the winter is not, not an excuse, again, it's just more difficult to operate, that they realize we can't necessarily serve the same levels as we can. Can twelve months of the year, but we have to be there anyway and make sure we give them a service which is uh, acceptable and also allows them to get their goods to market. So obviously, you know, operating constraints remain a challenge for us, but you know, we're up for the challenge. And I think that uh, you know, the railways in Canada, uh, you know, have a very, uh, a very strong story to tell. You know, we have the lowest freight rates in the OECD countries, and we invest quite a bit of money back in the network to make sure we can serve our customers. So I think it's up to us to just you know stick to the knitting, run the railway, and make sure that uh, we're there to serve our customers.
1: Sean, thank you very much for joining me.
2: Hayley, thank you very much. Have a great day.
1: It's time now to check in with BIV's weekly tech panel. We're going to talk about Uber, as well as the news that Canadian e-commerce company Shopify is going to run BC's online cannabis sales. In studio with us is Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa, and Amiel Lake, entrepreneur-in-residence at E at UBC. Thank you both for joining us.
3: Thanks for having us.
1: First, I think this is one of the biggest pieces of news in the Vancouver tech scene, PayPal acquiring a company – founded in Vancouver. It's called HyperWallet in a deal worth 400 million US dollars, more than half a million Canadian. It's a massive deal. And this alley comes just a couple of days after People's Trust Company bought another Vancouver startup in the fintech space called Lendful. Can we call this a trend at this point? What do you make of it?
4: Yeah, I think we were sort of alluding to this on prior shows. It seems to be uh, the direction I think uh, this is going to go over the next uh, 12 to 24 months. We have a lot of companies in Vancouver that uh, have built uh, something special and uh, now they're target acquisitions for larger larger companies. So in the case of PayPal, uh, they did buy TO Networks uh, mm-hmm. about 18 months ago, 24 months ago. Um, I, I believe they actually at, at this point have, have sort of shut down that brand. So I'm not exactly sure what they're doing with the, the business itself, but the brand itself TO is gone. So this is their second stab at, uh, at a Vancouver company and we'll see if Hyperwallet hyper wallet survives.
0: But I Emil, mean, they start here, but do they stay here?
3: Well, in HyperWallet's case, they started here and then they ended up building their their company and their executive in Texas. So there is certainly something to be said about being close to your customers. And I guess in HyperWallet's case, in terms of scale, they had to be in the US.
0: Do we have a strategy, Ali, to keep these companies here or is this beyond
4: Anything that you could control in this day and age? There there was a period of time over the last 24 months to 36 months where it made a lot of sense for larger uh, US-based companies to come and set up shop here. From a tax standpoint um, and from an employee hiring standpoint, it made a lot of sense. Uh, Today, with the new corporate taxes the way they are in the US, it doesn't make as much sense. And so I, I don't I don't think another the, thing to I don't think the chips Donald are Trump for. I don't another, think the chips are in our favor. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just I think it's going to get potentially worse before it gets better.
1: Yeah, we've spoken before about traditional banks, maybe looking at the fintech space, either to find partners or acquire, keeping tabs on it. But here we have PayPal, just sort of are they the original fintech and now they're acquiring newer startups in this space? I mean, what does this tell you, Amiel, about sort of how PayPal itself is matured and evolved?
3: Well, PayPal has been pretty much the first player in financial services, and they've always positioned themselves as the intersection of the internet and the banking world. They have been, even though they're massive, the nimble guys that were able to do peer-to-peer and really disrupt the traditional banking sector.
0: They feel like Though the Chevrolet of uh, of the of the the sport car class, you I, know, think they, I think they're they're there are a lot of others. Not Tesla. There are a lot of others that are coming along with with sleeker versions, but they somehow stay in the game.
4: Yeah, and and, and I think in Canada that's the way we feel, but in the U.S. they are quite they are quite ahead of the race. Um, they have a, a, a massive subscriber base in the U.S. Um, so you know, PayPal's managed to to sort of figure out where they fit, which is great for them. Uh, I thought the People's acquisition was quite interesting, though, to see sort of a a true sort of tier one bank acquire a a financial Mm -hmm. technology company. That was a nice it was nice to see from my perspective. Um, And uh, we'll see if they could actually, you know, go from sort of your archaic bank to more of a, you know, more of a fintech play now.
1: And does it indicate to you that Vancouver is on the map as a as a destination that produces fintech companies, even though we're not a financial capital?
4: Uh, I think we already are for sure. Uh, you know, based on conversations we have in Progressa and conversations that our, our, you know, peer companies have virtually all the time. Uh, when I'm talking to other CEOs, we're definitely on the map. Cause we were talking the other day in the newsroom about how there are really
0: almost 50 or 60 fintechs here based here, which is, it's kind of a surprisingly quiet story that's rather pleasant for us it's economically. true
3: yeah yeah it's like the gaming industry when all of a sudden we start talking about how we had hundreds of gaming studios in vancouver so this is very much vancouver's response to toronto of hey we can have some piece of the financial business here
1: Yeah, good point. Another interesting Canadian story, Shopify based back east is going to run BC's online cannabis sales once recreational marijuana is legal in this country. What does this mean, Amiel, for a company like Shopify?
3: I thought it was very interesting. Uh, Shopify's bread and butter was enabling small businesses to start selling their products online. That being said, they have huge brands, but they're not e-commerce brands. And so, you know, Inking these two deals with BC and Ontario, I feel like it's a move into the enterprise space and perhaps to be a a competitor against some of the larger not e, not in size e-commerce companies, but in terms of the types of customers they deal with.
0: Do you see uh, Ali emerging a um, you know an almost an instant maturity about the cannabis
4: space? I, yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope so. I always saw Shopify as sort of this large direct-to-consumer, you know, middleman. And now that cannabis is in play, I, you know, I hope that we mature really quickly because, you know, I don't even think things like alcohol are prevalent online yet. I mean, we've had alcohol on, around for decades now, but you can't just go and buy alcohol online. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, why cannabis all of a sudden? Right. And I think that's so in many respects, we better mature quickly because otherwise our kids will be getting their hands on this stuff.
3: I wonder how they're going to deal with gating for age and and dealing with fraud and things like that, that are obviously very important when it comes to the sale of of substances. Mm -hmm. That's an
1: interesting question. We've seen also a rush on the bricks and mortar side to secure leases, to secure licenses. Is e-commerce in the cannabis space going to be as disruptive to this retail model that legally hasn't existed yet?
4: That's a good question. Yeah, that's a really good question because there's really no market yet. So... Um but I, I do think it will be disruptive. I think it'll be I mean, it'll, it'll make a big dent. The, It's—you know—it it makes it easy for consumers. And if companies like Shopify are getting involved, then they must see some ability to scale it behind them. So I do think it'll be disruptive.
0: Plus, we have a bit of a distorted view here in Vancouver, ML, because we have all of these dispensaries already existing, and you can walk over to something. These are like almost within walking distance more than we have parks, for goodness' sake. Um, but there are going to be a lot of communities that don't have. Uh, distribution of this. And uh, here and in Ontario, um, online shopping may be the only way that you're going to get your cannabis.
3: Also, it's a controlled substance, and some people may not be comfortable sharing. Publicly, when they consume, how much they consume. So it lends itself perfectly to something you order online quietly and have it delivered quietly to your home. Oh,
0: I don't know. You start getting those little packages from with a Shopify sticker on it. I think we're all yeah, going to know. It. Yeah, it used to be with Amazon, you knew it was going to be books. Now you have no idea. But with Shopify, I, I have a sense we're going to know what that is. Yeah, it's
3: like- Hopefully there's no Snoop Dogg branding is- on it.
0: That's- <laughs> yes. Why is Haley getting all these packages from Shopify delivered at the office? You know? <laughs> (laughs)
3: Oh, man.
1: (laughs) All right. Our final story to discuss today Uber uh, has been in many legal battles over the course of its existence. The one currently ongoing in London is around its right to actually service the city and the area. Now, a court is going to decide whether Uber is fit to actually operate in London after (laughs) (laughs) a variety of public safety and security concerns. I mean, uh, none of us are judges here, Ali, but- I don't feel bad for them. Are are, are (laughs) they fit to serve? Have they actually changed the way they say they have? Or is this sort of a, a rush to appease?
4: Uh, no they've definitely changed over the last 12, 12 to 18 months there's been a, a very striking difference from uber both publicly and just sort of what you hear behind the scenes out of out of Silicon Valley so I I do think the new CEO has is sort of uh, set a proper tone and it's definitely resonating with the
0: brand-hmm I mean I'll, uh, we're still I mean they're were- we're amused at times here in the studio because we have people come from out of town, and at the end of the interview, they they're they're looking at their their phone and they're they're going, Jeez, your internet doesn't seem to work very well here because I can't get my Uber. <laughs> I can't get the Uber app to work." And I'm going, "Yeah, you're probably not going to get it to work for maybe I don't know. You'll be here a while. Eighteen while. <laughs> months. <laughs> yeah, your, your car will be here in 2020. Uh, we are really stuck in the mud still in this province. Around it, we we have no." inclination that we're going to see uber anytime soon
3: yeah and i i don't really understand why that's the case i find uh i don't know how many times you guys have been in a cab where the service is not friendly they are speeding it feels dangerous and all around inconvenient but this is something the city has not acquiesced with and i don't see it coming anytime soon no
4: It's, it's been purely political yeah and you just call your politician and put the pressure on that's all you can that's all we can do yeah. Citizens, right? There's
0: there's some focus on um, the premier's chief of staff, Jeff Meggs, who, when he was here as a counselor, was very defending, uh, very much defending the uh, the taxi industry. And the premier last week was saying, "Look, I've only had ten months to deal with this. Like, I can't. You know, mm-hmm. it's a tough issue. Um, but really, we're not going to see any kind of progress here, or oh, at least until the fall. In which case, there might be a timetable laid out, which will then probably put some very big." Strictures
4: on uh, on those in the uh, ride hailing business. I, uh, so that's best I, in my view. That's best case scenario. I, I don't think it's. I just don't think it's coming. We. I think this is going to be an election issue, and uh, and we'll be voting Liberal or NDP in three years from now, and deciding on Uber at that point.
3: After they solve the housing crisis.
4: After they solve the housing <laughs> crisis. Exactly. <laughs> that's right.
1: That's the other issue, as always. Ali, Amiel, thank you all so much for joining us in studio. Thanks for having us. Joining us today, Amiel Lake, Entrepreneur-in-Residence at E at UBC, and Ali Pordad, CEO at Progressa. And that's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV Today.
0: Subscribe to us and listen to our past episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. And of course, visit us at BIV.com where you can find more business news every day. Thanks a lot for listening.